and now the earth tells its own story. Men can only think how it may have been born, but it is here. Its story, after it was born, is written on its own broad surface. The rocks, the mountains, the rivers and valleys in the plains. There are gaps in the story, words missing. Some of them will be found in due time. You may find one so that later people may read more clearly. Parts of the story are rubbed out, parts of it are covered, but some parts of it we can read. A story really and truly written in stone. It is a story of a great rhythm, great movements of the earth, for the solid rock crust of the earth actually moves. It has moved many times in the past, and it will move again. The continents rise, mountains are born, the continents sink. The sea steals in stretching across the land long fingers of water, which widen and spread over its surface. The changing rhythm is like some grand organ music, with crashing, thundering chords when mighty mountains are born. And then some the softer notes while the waters of the earth, the winds and ice change its surface. As it does not, so it did then. The great rhythm was repeated and repeated, and yet, in the repeating, it was different each time. It is true. It is written on the surface of our earth. Land where now there is sea, sea where now there is land, and even sea where now there are mountains. For these seas left their footprints in the rocks they made. We can find them and use them like words to read the story the sea has written. But the crashing chords and the softer notes of the great rhythms were not all. Quietly, silently, life too changed. The plants changed. The birds and the beasts changed. All living things, plant and animal, grew from simple to higher things. Finally, man appeared. There are four long, long pages to this composition. Each has its own story of the rhythm of the earth, each story different. The sea did not always cover all the continents at the same time. Each page tells of new mountains born. Each page has its own story of the change in life. It is the four pages of the composition, each page as it was written laid over the one written before it, not piled neatly one on top of another, but spread out. As I said before, just as though your elbow had accidentally pushed the pages over. Only the last page is all uncovered. Parts of the others show beneath one another. Just so lie the rocks. The oldest writing is at the bottom, partly covered by the next. In the Earth story, also, only the latest rocks' words all lie uncovered. Chris here from the Geology Podcast Network. In this podcast, we tell the amazing stories of geological expeditions of yore. As cliche as Newton's axiom, standing on the shoulders of giants, has become, for geologists, this is especially true. Whether it be the orogenic history responsible for James Hutton's famous unconformity at Sicker Point, or Chaim Ganser's Himalayan expeditions disguised as a Buddhist pilgrim, it is upon their shoulders that we stand to uncover the geologic mysteries around the planet. We will explore the stories of intrepid men and women whose adventures and discoveries put humanity on a course of greater understanding of how our planet works and how the geologic past has shaped our present. 
Today we have Noelle Lynn and Michaela Moore, two fellow geologists from Quebec and Ontario, Canada, who are going to share with us the inspiring life of Alice Wilson, a pioneer and icon for progress for women in geology in this episode of Geological Expeditions of Yore. Take it away, Noelle and Michaela. Hi everyone, it's Noelle from the Geology Podcast Network, and today, fellow geologist Michaela and I will be discussing Dr. Alice Wilson, the first Canadian female geologist here on the Geological Expeditions of Yore. Hi everyone, it's good to be here. We are going to discuss not only the profound contribution Wilson made to our understanding on the Ottawa lowland region, but her journey to becoming a leading scientist in her field amid the obstacles she faced, many of which were solely attributed to her gender. Wilson was born on August 26, 1881, in Coburg, Ontario. Her father was a professor of classics at the University of Toronto, and her family was one that valued a higher education, which she was encouraged to pursue from an early age. Her childhood consisted of camping and canoeing trips with her family, where she would collect rocks and fossils, sparking her early love for geology. Wilson began her studies at University of Toronto, Victoria College, with a major in modern languages. She described her choice in major as an appropriate field of study for women at the time, even though it was not her first choice. It was to prepare her for an appropriate career for women, to become a teacher. She was never able to finish this program due to health issues. When she was well enough to return to school, she began working part-time in the Mineralogy Division of the University of Toronto Museum, beginning her career in geology. She went on to become a temporary clerk at the Victoria Memorial Museum in Ottawa, where she catalogued, arranged, and labeled the invertebrate fossil collection for extremely minimal pay, making only $800 per year. That equates to roughly $15 per week. In 1907, Wilson completed her degree and went on to be hired for a permanent position as a museum technician at the Geological Survey of Canada, or GSC, in Ottawa. This would make her the first woman to hold a professional position at GSC with a salary of only $850 a year. While working there, she was not allowed to conduct field work because it would require her to work in a remote region at a campsite with other men, an idea that was considered unthinkable at the time and would have harmed her reputation. Instead, she wrote to the director of GSC. With reference to further field work of the more strenuous type, I would like to point out that while not heavily built, I am muscularly very strong and from earliest childhood have been accustomed to an out-of-door life both with canoe and camping. When describing the obstacles she faced as a woman working in a completely male field, she said, If you meet a stone wall, you don't pit yourself against it. You go around it and find a weakness. She would prove to do just that. Wilson was eventually approved to conduct local fieldwork in the Ottawa region, which she did alone for 50 years. This obstacle is what sparked, and likely forced, her work to be largely constrained to the Ottawa Lowland region, which resulted in an extremely detailed and accurate documentation of the area. By the end of her career, Wilson would map 16,000 square kilometers by foot, bicycle, then eventually by car. This was only possible once she saved up enough money to buy her own, after the survey refused to issue her a car, 
despite most male geologists being issued a vehicle for their fieldwork. It's also important to keep in mind that Wilson suffered with health issues throughout her life, the severity of which caused her to take academic leave during her undergraduate degree. She conducted all of her fieldwork by herself, since she was not allowed to work alongside male colleagues in the field. Women would continue to be barred from fieldwork by the GSC until 1970. In 1915, Wilson decided she wanted to pursue graduate school, for which she was repeatedly denied time off, despite the fact that these paid leaves of absence for the purpose of graduate school were routinely granted to her male colleagues. She fought for this time for seven years. She eventually won a private scholarship from the Canadian Federation of University of Women, an organization that advocated for her to become a recognized authority in her field. Despite this, she was still denied leave. After the Canadian Federation of University Women campaigned on her behalf, she was finally granted leave in 1926. By 1929, Wilson graduated with a doctorate in geology from the University of Chicago at 49 years old, but would only be recognized as a doctor shortly before her death. Despite her higher education, she was not given a pay increase and was repeatedly denied promotions and professional recognition, despite her years of experience and extensive qualifications. It is astounding to think about the position that Wilson was in, simply because she was a woman. She was extremely intelligent, with an education that would be regarded with the highest level of respect in modern times. But since she was the only woman working in a completely male field, she was disregarded and repeatedly denied what she had earned. She worked for the GSC for 50 years, spending the majority of this time working at a low-level position and doing individual fieldwork by foot. It was only less than 100 years ago that she truly paved the way for women to work in a predominantly male field with more respect and equality. After years of working with the GSC, she was promoted to assistant paleontologist in 1936. By 1940, she was an associate geologist. This was likely due to external recognition of her research from organizations such as the Geological Society of America and the Royal Society of Canada, both of which she would come to be a part of. By 1946, the GSC finally began to recognize her work, publishing the results of her years of fieldwork, the first major geological publication in the area titled Geology of the St. Lawrence Lowland, Ontario and Quebec. Her focus was mainly economic resources in the area, such as building stones, sand, gravel, and drinking water. She also wrote a detailed log of the fossils present in the area. In 1946, at the age of 65, Wilson retired from the GSE as was mandated. Five people were hired to replace her upon retirement. She kept her office and continued to conduct research and began lecturing in paleontology at Carleton College, what is now Carleton University in Ottawa. She stayed there for 10 years. She described her years in retirement as some of the happiest of her life. The best and most enjoyable years of my career were spent after I reached retirement age. I loved to teach and share my passion for geology and paleontology. I wrote a book for children. I continued my scientific work. Gradually, my contributions were recognized. Her children's book, The Earth Beneath Our Feet, was written to reach the community and encourage broader knowledge and peak interest in geology for children. 
In her own words, the earth touches every life. Everyone should receive some understanding of it. In her dedication, she wrote, to all boys and girls who walk and run and jump on the earth, this book is dedicated. To tell you what you are walking upon, to tell you how our earth came to be what it is, to tell you how it is changing now and why, to tell you how very old it is, to tell you it is not the hills but the sea that is everlasting, warning. This book is like maple sugar. Read just a little at one time. Take too much and you want never to see it again. Take a small piece and you like it. You want more. It is important to note that Marie Tharp, who was featured in a previous episode of the Geologic Expeditions of Yore, would not come to definitively prove plate tectonics until 1953, six years after the book's publication. Despite this, Wilson still discussed the everlasting sea, something that would have been a very controversial topic at the time of publication. Aside from her children's book and lecturing at Carleton, she ran field trips for students in her 80s and kept her office at GSC continuing to do research. In 1960, Carleton recognized her contributions and awarded her an honorary degree. She also became a member of the Order of the British Empire and a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada, the first female ever to do so. On top of this, and being the first female to be hired by the GSC, she was also the first female to be elected as a Fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, Member of the Geological Society of America, and Fellow of the Royal Society of Canada. She contributed countless papers, lectures, and publications about the Ordovician fossils in eastern Canada. This includes over 50 scientific publications and single-handedly prepared exhaustive maps of the Ottawa and St. Lawrence lowlands, paired with descriptive geology and fossil documentation. This included, but was not limited to, a general overview of miscellaneous fossils in the Ottawa Formation of the Ottawa-St. Lawrence Valley, a guide to the geology of the area, a new genus and new species of gastropod identified in the Upper Ordovician of British Columbia, and a separate book for each detailed account of gastropods, brachiopods, echinoderms, cephalopods, trilobites, and plesopods of the Ottawa Formation of the Ottawa-St. Lawrence Lowland. She also initiated a national typological collection of invertebrate fossils that is still used as a reference base and is one of the largest collections in the world. One of her colleagues from Carleton recounted, We never understood how she could do all she did in a day. First to the survey, then a two-hour lecture with us, then back to the survey, and then a field trip in the afternoon. Her work on the geology and paleontology of the area around Cornwall, Ontario, would be a key piece in the construction of the St. Lawrence Seaway. The St. Lawrence Seaway is a system that allows ships to travel from the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lakes. It is an intricate system consisting of several stretches of canals within the river, locks, and canals that bypass obstacles such as rapids and dams. It is roughly 600 kilometers long, with ships as long as 225 meters able to pass through it. Construction was completed using Wilson's detailed account of the local geology in 1959, just a few years before her death. 
At 82 years old, Wilson gave up her office at the GSC. When told she could continue to use the space, she responded, No, my work is done. She passed away two months later on April 15, 1964. She would come to be one of only 60 inductees in the Canadian Science and Engineering Hall of Fame and a designated National Historic Person. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it is very helpful when you rate and review the podcast. The Geology Podcast Network is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Editing and music production was done by Michaela Moore. Episodes of the Geology Podcast Network are available wherever you get your podcasts.